The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is one of the most powerful and thoughtful executives in boxing, Showtime president of sports and event programming, Mr. Steven Espinoza. We talk about Showtime's excellent way to fill the COVID-19 programming void on Friday nights with their uh, Showtime Classic Boxing Series, which I've really enjoyed so far. We also discuss Showtime's game plan on how they'll proceed when boxing events are allowed to come back and what precautions need to be in place. We also spoke about the bidding wars between the networks and what Stephen anticipates the market looking like post-COVID. We discuss his plans for Gervonta Davis and the 154-pound division, as well as his attempts to make a Jamal Charlo Demetrius Andre unification match. Uh, and finally, we discuss his comments at last year's Leaders Conference on the sport of boxing and whether we've reached peak boxing just yet. Really great conversation with Stephen, as always. Hope you enjoy. So, uh, as, as my uh, most esteemed guest on, on this episode of the Boxing Esquire podcast is the president of sports and event programming at Showtime, Mr. Stephen Espinoza. Stephen, welcome back to the Boxing Esquire podcast. Um, I've, I've been called a lot of things, but uh, esteemed is, is generally not one of them, so I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, I, I definitely uh, been enjoying. I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're going through a very rough time now with, uh, with the COVID-19 virus, but I have been enjoying the, uh, the 30th anniversary of uh, Showtime Championship Boxing, the Friday Night Fights. Um, really want to commend you guys on on the choices so far. The the Vasquez Marquez series is obviously uh, amazing, and and the uh, the Corrales uh, Castillo fights were, were obviously classics. Um, really like the uh, the companion pieces too that uh, Brian Campbell put together. The interviews with Tony Weeks and, and Joe Goosen and and the oral history uh, for the, the Corrales Castillo fight is great. So. Uh, uh, what what uh, future fights are you guys planning to air on on the Friday night fights? Well, you know the first couple were gimmies um, because you know if you, you put aside the, the the huge superstars like you know uh, Tyson, the Holyfield, and Chavez, and and, and Mayweather, is um, probably the, the two fights or the two series of fights that are most associated with Showtime are probably. Um, Corrales Castillo and and Vasquez Marquez, so those were those were gimmies. Those were easy choices, um, and I, I think as we we did when we celebrated the 30th anniversary a few years ago, um, we um, we'll, we'll probably do monthly themes. Um, so April we we thought you know we'd start strong with you know fights of the year. So you know obviously Corrales Castillo was fight of the year. Vasquez Marquez, um, the first one was fight of the year. I think the second one might have been as well, but I'm not positive. Um, then going forward, uh, over the next two weekends, um, we've got um, this weekend is Pauli Ayala and Johnny Tapia, uh, fight of the year in 1999, and then their rematch in 2000. And then something a little bit more recent, Lucas Matisse and John Molina, 
And then for fun, we just paired that one with uh, Mickey Bay, John Molina, because that was such a, uh, you know, a, a fantastic ending, such a dramatic 10th round there. Um, reminds us why, uh, you know, why we love the sport when you see endings like that. Absolutely. 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 Um, so I guess, yeah, I mean, what, what, what was really the, the, the process for, for going about choosing uh, fights for the series? Um, uh, I mean, was it, was it they had to be fights of the year or, or um, I mean, how, how involved are you in, in, in choosing the fights as well? Um, it's, we, we thought we'd start with the easy ones, the, the fights of the year. And then going forward, I think it's going to be a combination of, of other things. I mean, I, I think we, we'd like to go a little deeper in the archive. Um, while we certainly are going to be delivering some of the big names, I think we're, we're going to be looking at maybe some of the fights that maybe don't immediately jump to mind. You know, maybe Ayala Tapia is a, is a good example. Um, you know, certainly two accomplished guys in the sport um, and with, with good fan bases, but weren't the superstars. And I don't think Tapia Ayala, you know, rolls off the tongue of people, you know, thinking that, that some of the best fights of the last 20 years. But it was a great rivalry uh, and two, you know, really skilled fighters um, and at times, you know, brawlers. And then going forward, I think we're going to lean on the fans a little bit. We, um, you know, some sort of voting mechanism. Um, I know people have strong opinions. We've got a really deep, deep library. So we'd like to go a little bit further. I mean, certainly, you know, there, there's going to be Tyson fights and there's going to be Thomas fights. Uh, but we're, you know, the ones that we pick are probably going to be a little bit ones that are a little bit more under the radar, but still fabulous fights that are, that are worth revisiting. Um, and then kind of bring something else to the table on top of that, which is, you know, for Carlos Castillo, you know, talking to Goose and talking to Tony Weeks, um, doing something. So it's not just a replay, but it's, you know, bring in another perspective on it going forward. Right, right. Yeah. I was... and, and, the, and the process, I mean, go ahead. Yeah. The, the, the process, it's sort of a group process. Um, you know, we, we all started brainstorm, come up with a theme and a list of fights. And then it's sort of like just arguing until we get a resolution and we agree on what, uh, what should happen. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, I guess, you know, the, the, I remember when HBO did legendary nights, um, one of the things they ran into when you, when you say that the library is deep though, they, they ran into like, um, you know, film, like rights to the films problems. And they, they actually didn't clear, uh, some of those and they ended up having to give up some, some dates to some promoters. <laughs> they probably wouldn't have given them up. Yeah. So, so how does that work? I mean, how does it work? I mean, I, I know that the network certainly has, you know, the licenses, the rights to air it. But I mean, when, when, when you're talking about going back and, and into the archives, I mean, how, you know, what, what, how, how do you go about, you know, making sure you can, you can actually air them without any problems? It's a it's a very good question because um, you know you've got to go back to documentation from you know obviously up to thirty years ago, um, and you know every every promoter handled things a little bit different, um, and in particular Don King has always been very protective about his rights, a very aggressive negotiator. Right. So he was one of the guys who from the very start insisted, look, I own everything. You're going to get, um, you know, a very limited window of exhibition that's going to expire pretty quickly. 
And so uh, at times we've been, uh, you know, we've been forced to go back to him and get additional rights, whether we want to do for the 30 year anniversary, revisit some of those fights or, or now, um, you know, and it, uh, it just shows the value of, of, you know, of the position he took. Um, now, you know, obviously there were other things that, you know, he, he didn't get because he didn't give us the rights. You know, obviously we adjusted the deal on our end of things as well. Um, but I, I think that's probably the one uh, outlier is that, uh, you know, King, when, when, uh, when he was at his peak, he had a lot of leverage. He had some superstars and had a lot of leverage. So he, he drove a hard bargain and we, we have to go back to him to get those rights. Right, right. Now, yeah, that that obviously that was like well before your time as well at Showtime when uh, when Don had an exclusive deal yeah. with uh, with Showtime. Um, but that, but I mean, listen, yeah. I mean that that's interesting. So we can look forward to more um, more features from uh, from Brian and also the the the, the classic combat with him and uh, and uh, Luke Thomas. Yeah, I, I was talking to to Chris De Blasio about this. I said, you know, the the, the commentary on. Uh, Corrales Castillo turned it into you know almost more mystery science theater than it was like boxing commentary. But those guys, like Brian, is such a character. He's amazing to listen to. Yeah, you know it's that, that's the reference, and you know I'm not sure everyone will get it. But um, <laughs> if you were around and, and saw that series, that, that's very much uh, what it felt like. You know, at times only incidentally related to what's going on you know, in the fight. Um, um, at times it's, you know, very closely related, but always, always entertaining, um, nonetheless. And and I think, you know, one of the things, um, that it demonstrates is, you know, we, we go through this period of, you know, adjusting to, to COVID-19 and all the stuff that we've been doing from a business standpoint over the last three or four weeks, is basically, you know, put us in, in three categories or in three phases. The first phase was just um, dealing with the immediacy of canceling events and pulling stuff off the air and losing um, events, you know, not just live boxing events, but, you know, we, we had a couple, we had a, a documentary or two that were going to premiere at South by Southwest. And so there's a whole range of adjustments there. Then you get into the process of, okay, in the, in, in the short run, what are we substituting the programming with? You know, we, we lost some programming. Some of the series didn't get to finish their, their full episode order in production. And so how are we going to plug, uh, plug the holes in the schedule? And then the third phase, which is where we are now is, you know, until we, we know exactly how long this is last, you know, then we're going to continue brainstorming trying to come up with, you know, interesting programming that we can do given with all the constraints that, that we have. And so when this first happened, we're talking about scheduling. Um, you know, I, I, I'd say that probably there's a little bit of a, a concern. Um, you know, honestly, is, you know, I had a question of you know, how the network would value, you know, replays. Um, because as, as a network, we do a lot of replays on Showtime Extreme and, you know, and chances are just about, you know, three or four nights a week, if not more, you can go to Showtime Extreme and see, you know, a, a sports doc replay or a boxing replay or an MMA replay. Um, but uh, on top of that, I think it, it demonstrates, you know, the priority that management as a whole 
in, in at our network values of the sport of boxing to, to say that you know no, we're um, we're going to dedicate you know a Friday night slot every week to classic fights. It's something that um, that to, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody else is doing is actually scheduling it um, as a as a regular program. So I, I think that says a lot about the importance we put on the sport and the value of the sport to the network. Absolutely. 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 And, 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 all, and like you said as well, I mean, you just have a tremendous archive of great fights as well. So that's, it's a real treat for, for fans to, uh, to see the fights again, but also to have all those great features, uh, you know, that, that, that Brian uh, is able to pull together. Um, and it's interesting that what you talked about with, with, you know, obviously the, the, the COVID virus is, is, is affecting everyone's lives and, and, um, you know, the sport of boxing, it, it obviously affecting it. And we see, you know, other sports are waiting it out. I saw the NBA is talking about not making any decisions until at least May 1st. Um, you've got, you know, major league baseball mulling its options, including like a biodome, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a pretty interesting article in sports. I, yeah. Sports Illustrated, where, you know, just talking about what a heavy lift for team sports it's going to be to, to do anything in this pandemic with the with the you know, medical attention and the testing and, and creating a safe and sanitary environment. I mean, obviously, boxing is different than the team sports, um, you know, um, although, you know, social distancing is a little more of a challenge than, say, golf or tennis. But um, one of the interesting aspects I'm hearing, you know, you have boxing promoters saying that they prefer to do like non-marquee type cards uh, where there wasn't much expectation of gate revenues uh, to do those first. I know Eddie Hearn was quoted as saying he's waiting on bringing back the, the big you know, ticket fights uh, until crowds are involved. So what, what's your feeling on that? Well, um, it, it's, a, it's a nice luxury if, if you have it. Um, if you have the luxury of of waiting and seeing where, where and when the big crowds are, are going to be able to return, then, then that's great. Um, I'm not sure that that is the route that we would take. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, I can't speak for PBC or anyone else, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure personally, and I'm certainly not an expert, but I'm not sure personally when we're going to be seeing um, – big crowds and venues returning, uh, not just for boxing or sports, but Broadway theater or even movie theaters. Right. Um, you know, there's a, a lot that has to happen before that kind of normalcy returns to society as a whole. So, you know, careful about saying, look, we're going to wait until things um, are back to normal in, ter- in terms of crowd gathering. That may be six, nine, 12 months down the line. I don't, I don't think anybody really knows reliably yet. So, um, yes, it is, is it going to require a, a financial sacrifice? Absolutely. Um, obviously, for those big fights that can generate a big gate, um, you know, the money won't be the same. But I think as this drags on, I think everybody would rather have events, and even those fighters in the high-profile events would rather have, you know, income coming in, even though they had to take a haircut on it because of the lack of a gate. Right, right. I mean, I guess the flip side of that is, you know, with uh, with pay-per-view, you have more of a captive audience because <laughs> people, you know, people are going to be pretty much home and, and looking for. Uh, 
for uh, things to watch. I mean, is it possible that that pay-per-view numbers could be even even higher and mitigate some some you know somewhat the loss of the gate um, with with more eyeballs on it? Yeah, you know what, what we have seen, um, you know, in as a as a general observation, we have seen TV viewing, you know, go up. Um, and you see that from everything from, you know, network TV ratings to, uh, you know, anecdotal reports about uh, Internet traffic to you know, what Netflix says to even, you know, what our ratings and viewership, you know, have been both streaming and traditional TV. So, you know, the assumption was as people were forced to stay home, uh, they probably consume more media. That has uh, that has proven to be true. The tricky part, however, about pay-per-view is there is a huge chunk of this audience of, of this audience of this this country that is in financial distress. Right. Um, you know, and that number is growing every day. So yes, there's a group of people out there who want to be entertained and who may want an escape and are are, are really hungry for the return of support on television. But there's also uh, you know, a, a big chunk of that group, a big chunk of society that is facing um, having been laid off or potentially being laid off or being furloughed or taking pay cuts. And that's a, a very real thing that has to be taken into account when you start considering strategically how you're going to program pay-per-view. Right, right. No doubt about it. That's that's that's, that's the flip side of that. Um, now, Interesting, you know, kind of uh, speaking to most promoters other than Dana White, and we will get to Dana White in a second. But, uh, um, you know, people seem to be talking, you know, most boxing promoters I've spoken to, they seem to be talking about June. Like that's that's kind of like the earliest they can see um, things coming back. I mean, just just in, you know, in your due diligence on this, you know, what's your assessment? Like at the, is the earliest you could see, uh, boxing, you know, in any shape, way, shape or form coming back. Um, personally, and again, this is, this is just a a gut feeling, uh, a a personal opinion. I, I don't necessarily know anything more than anybody else. Um, I, it's tough for me to envision being back actively with boxing events before July. And the reason I say July as opposed to June is, uh, you know, you've got to realize a lot of these fighters, and I, I, I'd probably say the majority of them, um, don't have access to the kind of training facilities they normally would have. I mean, sure, if you're, um, you know, if you're the Charlos or if you're Deontay, they have their own private gyms, and obviously those are not closed. They still have access to those. But if you're, you're, you don't have your own gym, you're not training. Um, it's very difficult, you know, with social distancing and the restriction on travel to get any good training. So let's say we just we got the green light um, at some point in May to move forward. I think you're going to want, just like the NBA is going to, you know, have a, you know a pretty significant period if they return. Um, they'll be doing a pretty significant period of uh, conditioning training before to minimize injuries, 
um, and, and to you know get back to the level of play that you're used to with the NBA. And I think similar something similar to boxing. You you can't greenlight something in May uh, for a June event and expect that fighters who haven't been able to um, to to go into the gym or to have good good sparring are going to be ready at the top tier level in June. I mean, theoretically, yes, it could happen. Um, but I think the, the better thing for, uh, to avoid injuries and to make sure we have the best product available is to give them the few extra weeks and really target July as the comeback as opposed to June. Right, right. Now, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense for sure. I mean, I guess obviously the thing that that complicates this is that you know, I mean, again, you know, we're not medical doctors. We don't know how this. Even the medical doctors don't know how this is going to go. But you know, the the hope we have is that a there's going to be you know a lot more you know rapid kind of ubiquitous testing, but also that that, that there will be with the social distancing and ebb, and with the summertime maybe it'll ebb as well with with warm weather. Um, and, you know, at some point, you know, you're not straining, you know, the medical resources, you know, with the, the EMTs and the doctors so that you can actually, you know, have athletic events and, and, and not be a strain. Um, so I guess, but I, but I guess, you know, you know, there's also, uh, the, the, the possibility of a recurrence, right. In, in the fall or the winter. So. There may even just be like a, a a window where you can get some things in, right? I mean, is that is that kind of part of the planning, or or yeah, you know, I mean, part? yeah, you know, in, in you you raise a really good point about the strain on the medical system because again, sports, um, combat sports are somewhat unique because of their heavy reliance on ringside positions. Right. So in in the U.S., you know, in in um, you know all the U.S. Um, you know, territories, you know, other than, than, uh, Indian reservations, um, you've got to have two ambulances, you know, on, on duty. Now, you know, that right there, you know, taking two ambulances out of commission for, you know, six, seven hours on a Saturday night, that right there is probably an obstacle in, in most, if not all the states. Um, you know, whether it's, um, you know, it, it, it probably is an impossibility in a lot of states, and it's probably not wise in a whole range of other states. Um, then you also have the consideration about, okay, what if there is an injury during the event, and now you're taking a fighter, you know, from the event into for treatment into a facility that, you know, probably the vast majority of what they're doing now is, is COVID-19 patients. So there's an additional element of risk of going into one of those hospitals for any reason. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of dominoes. There's a, there's a big ripple effect here. People tend to think, well, okay, you've got a, you know, four to six to eight fights on a card times two fighters in each fight. Um, in the corner, you're talking about you know, 30 people, 40 people involved. No, it's not, you know, it, it, it's not anywhere that small a number because you, you've got to think everybody that they're training with everyone who they're sparring with their, their corners, the commissions, the doctors, everyone who's involved And the problem with bringing everybody together, you know, into tight quarters and then having them disperse is, you know, is 
the fact that you you may be infecting people unknowingly, and then they're going back to their own communities, very different communities, um, and you don't know what people are dealing with at home. You know, me, I live with my girlfriend. She has asthma and, and some autoimmune conditions. So I'm super, both of us are super paranoid about it. And we've been extra, extra careful because I don't want to bring anything home to her because even though she's relatively young, she is high risk. And you just don't know. You know, I think of a, a fighter like Leo Santa Cruz. You know, he's not somebody who can take a risk. His father has been battling cancer on and off for several years. He is the very epitome of, of high risk. So, yeah, can, should we return as soon as we can? I mean, there's certainly a lot of people who believe that. But, you know, again, you've got to take, in, uh, take into account that not everybody is, you know, a healthy 25-year-old. A lot of these people have family members or people that they live with that may be high risk, and it just isn't an option for them until we get better protections in place. Right. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I, you know, I'd mentioned Dana White. I just wanted a real, I mean, obviously he had, he had tried to push this fight, you know, uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, and I, you know, once the commissions bailed out, I was really surprised that ESPN didn't bail out like, you know, really quick. And it, and it took like a governor to convince them to do that. Um, I mean, if, if it were, you know, if it were a boxing promoter doing this and didn't have commission support, I mean, I can't imagine Showtime like still going ahead and, and airing that. I mean, does that that be a, a correct assumption? Um, it, it, yeah, I, you know, at this point, you know, and I've I've talked to PBC, and, you know, and look, right right now, because of what I would uh, I think genuine generously call a loophole in Florida. Um, you know, you could also, you know, just call it look, um, a lack of common sense. You know, WWE can go live and, and the way the executive order is written, um, boxing and MMA could go live, you know, there as well. It, notwithstanding that, that's not something that we want to do right now just because we can. Um, and I don't think PBC you know, is interested in doing that right now either. Right. Now that's disappointing to all of us as maybe as boxing fans, but as, as human beings, as members of society, um, you know, there's, there's an acknowledgement that there are bigger things at, at work here. So just because we can do it doesn't mean that we will. And in this case, um, it, just because we have one state that curiously decided to allow this to happen, um, doesn't mean that it's wise to go ahead and take advantage of it. You know, certainly not from our perspective. Right, right. No, I think that's that's absolutely the the, the wise choice to make. Um, um, also, I, I just had a question um, um, about uh, budget and and how it works. I mean, I I know HBO had like a year over year budget. You kind of use it or lose it, um, and it gets kind of complicated to carry money over from one year to the next. Um, obviously, Showtime had a you know, 2020 boxing budget and, and, you know, not a lot of boxing has happened. Um, is it the case that, you know, if there is like a small window that opens, I mean, is Showtime just going to go like both barrels and, and put like as many fights as they can on to try and, you know, use up the budget or, or, I mean, how would it work? I mean, obviously the fans would benefit in that case, but how would it work? Well, it, it'll depend on a lot of things. I mean, one other thing to keep in mind is, depending when we get back, there, there's also a backlog of 
a lot of other sports and a lot of other entertainment programming that it's going to be, you know, super competitive. If we are able to come back in June or July, then you've got the NHL that has to make up for lost time. The NBA, um, you know, will be going at times, both of those will be going at times that, you know, during the year that they don't typically go. Um, then you've got, you know, baseball becoming active in probably what's a shortened season. Who knows what happens with NFL and college football. So part of it will be, you know, are we sitting here in July competing against a whole bunch of other sports that, uh, you know, maybe we, we might be competing against the NBA Finals in July. Um, right, right. You know, maybe NBA Finals are in August. I mean, who knows at this point? So that's that's one element of it. The other element is, um, you know, is, is is sort of bang for your buck um, in the sense of, yeah, for those of us who are the, you know, hardcore fight fans, be great if we had two or three big events every weekend. Um, you know, I, I think the hardcore fan minds at all having to flip around. Um, but not everybody is that fan. So the question is, you know, are we, we better off um, taking a more measured approach and not cramming, you know, three or four events every month, you know, for the back half of the year? I think there's somewhere in the middle ground. Um, there is such thing as too much boxing, too much being crammed in there. Um, so uh, I think we would we would be end up somewhere in the middle, probably busier than our typical schedule. Uh, but I'm not sure it makes sense to go every single weekend or anything close to that. Right, right. Um, that's interesting. Um, also, um, before COVID hit, uh, go, go, go ahead. The go other ahead. thing, yeah. The other thing is, I, uh, you know, this, you know, sometimes. Um, there, there are changes of behavior or technical innovations or, or other types of innovations that come out of situations you know, like this, um, you know, meaning sometimes the habits and the changes that we make during times of uh, unusual stress um, become you know, normalized. So, you know, one thing you know, we, we may look at is, and this is something we've been looking at for the last couple of years, um, you know, maybe if things are really all that busy with entertainment and sports and everything coming back online, you know, then we should probably look at doing something other than Friday and Saturday nights. Um, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, um, particularly wide open until the start of NFL season, certainly. So, you know, this may lead to other changes which are unrelated just because, you know, people are forced out of necessity to do things that they don't typically do like put fights on Tuesday or Wednesday night. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if there's I mean, it's 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 a whole new it's a whole new atmosphere, you know, and and obviously like you're saying if if all those team sports are able to be as nimble as boxing and come back all at the same time, it is going to be absolutely a free for all. So, um that's that's great that 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 Showtime uh can be nimble and, and is thinking, you know, of, of, of ways to still get it in. That's awesome. Um, just talking to some of the, uh, the managers and promoters in the sport before all this hit, it seemed like 2020 was a year where um, networks and promoters were actually just trying to rein in the spending spree and bidding wars that were going on. I know uh, the zone was very public in saying they weren't going to be overpaying anymore. And I, I'd heard that, you know, PBC was also trying to rein things in. Um, you know, now that the coronavirus has kind of come and, and we're only seeing the beginning of, of, of the shock to the world economy, 
Um, do you expect the bidding wars and, and average cost of a fight to, to come down in the foreseeable future? Well, it, 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 it really depends, um, you know, who, who's, who's staying in the sport. Um, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that anyone in particular is getting out, but, uh, you know, times like these, uh, force people to reevaluate, you know, what's really valuable, um, and force people to reevaluate, you know, business plans. And, you know, really where, where the bidding wars have come from and where the, the spending has is, is largely from streaming services. It's, um, ESPN and, and DAZN, uh, trying to ramp up, you know, their streaming content and, you know, need to overpay to a large extent to do so. Um, you know, in particularly the zone, and once one party does it, then it becomes you know an arms race. So, I, I do think look, that kind of spending was never going to be something that was practical, you know, to support for the long run. It, it was always going to be something temporary. Now, whether temporary meant a year or two or or something else, you know, at every market at some point returns to normalcy when there's been a a bubble, if it's truly a bubble. And I think there, there has been a bubble because there's been a lot of fights that have gone on that, you know, that the price tag doesn't match sort of the, the demand for the fight or the interest among the public or, you know, or the viewership, whatever metric you would, you would choose to have. So, you know, uh, I'm all for fighters being paid. Um, I'm also, you know, all for, you know, there being some logic and reason and rationality in, in the market. I don't think those two things are, are mutually exclusive. Um, but I, I, I do hope if this, um, if this forces people to look and say, look, let's, let's really, you know, spend on what's valuable and, and, and have some rationality return to the marketplace. I think it'd be a good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Interesting, you know, uh, my, my colleague at, at the ring, uh, Joe Santalaquito, uh, in an interview he did with you, uh, I think probably earlier this year, probably pre-COVID, uh, came out uh, on the ring today and you'd kind of laid out um, some plans for, for Showtime in 2020 and obviously everything's kind of been turned upside down. But um, even with the uncertainty, I mean, you, you know, the, the one thing you mentioned uh, is about, you know, taking uh, Gervonta Davis to that next step, uh, a stardom. Um, you know, obviously there'd been a lot of rumors about mm-hmm. him facing, uh, Leo Santa Cruz in a pay-per-view. Um, is that something that's still kind of at the, at the top of the list, uh, for Showtime once things get back to semi-normal? <laughs> uh, um, you know, he's, uh, he's due both goes, I, both guys are due. I mean, um, uh, look, there's, there's been a lot of talk, you know, um, you know, not just Tank and Leo, um. You know, Gary Russell has spoken up. You know, Ryan Garcia has spoken up. So there, there's no shortage of interesting fights um, for Tank in the near future. But I, I think probably most realistic is um, is Leo Santa Cruz, and I think it's a good style matchup. Um, and you know, I know there are, are are those who you know have their concerns about Leo. You know, going up another weight class. Um, he's been pretty adamant. You know that that he sees something that he uh, he thinks there's an opportunity and he thinks there's a way for him to be successful against Tank. 
he hasn't said what that is, um, but he is very confident and and in, uh, in, in very fired up to get that fight. So I think with uh, with both of them open to it, I think it's very likely we see that um, pretty quickly. I mean, I guess you know if if that one comes about, would it be pay per view or would it be on Showtime proper? Um, you know, it, hasn't been determined. It, it depends. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's a it's a TBD. I would say it's probably a pay per view fight. Um, you know, uh, you know, going forward, I think PBC and Tank have been, um, you know, very, you know, very motivated to sort of explore that and see what its potential there is. Um, but you know, depending on the timing of the fight and how long this goes on, look if. If we're in a um, a recession or, or something approaching a, a depression, and we're in, we've got a large chunk of the audience that has um, financial obstacles. You know, it wouldn't be wise to go with a pay per view. You know, in in that environment. So, you know, we'll have to evaluate what what the market um, what the market is, and particularly what consumer confidence and consumer spending is doing. Right. Absolutely. Another thing you mentioned, I know, I mean, I think the last time I spoke to you, which was about a year ago, you, you had also talked about this and just kind of circumstances uh, (laughs) with uh, upsets and so on have kind of prevented this, but uh, unification at 154 pounds. I mean, obviously PBC has three of the four belts and, and they reside with two fighters. You know, Jason Rosario has the BA and the BF and after his upset over, over J rock and, you know, Dramel Charlo uh, regained the BC uh, with a, a pretty, you know, like a fight of the year rematch with uh, Tony Harrison. Uh, is that something uh, obviously still at the top of the list? Charlo Rosario, possibly? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that, that's something we want. I'm, I'm sure Fox is interested in it, you know, whether it's us or Fox. Um, you know, I, I think uh, I think you probably see, you know, hopefully that that unification hopefully before the end of the year um, because I hear from both guys that they're, they're sort of interested in doing it. And there's, uh, you know, one of the bigger fights at 154. So uh, I think, you know, 54 is still a really deep division. Uh, I mean, you can, you know, you, you can go through all the champions, all the, the recent champions, and then still get down to guys like, um, you know, Erickson Lubin and Brian Castaño. Um, who are still really skilled and really talented and might be at that championship level again very soon. So I think that's that's a division that you know arguably might be the deepest right now in terms of of the talent. There's some really good fights in that division. So I, I think I'm looking forward to how that division shapes up at the back half of this year. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I mean if if you know, PBC were inclined to do tournaments. That is the division most ripe for one because they've got all, you know, almost the entire top 10 and all just great fighters and great fights. Um, and, and no, no real huge superstars to price themselves out either. So, uh, I think that's, that's a really exciting division. Looking forward to that. Yeah. Um, another thing you mentioned in that interview, which I thought was, uh, you know, my like eyebrows perked up was like, Hmm. You said unification at 160 pounds. Now, PBC only has one titleist, uh, Jamal uh, Charlo, the other twin. Um, and, you know, there have been rumors of him maybe facing uh, Chris Eubank or Sergei Derevyanchenko, but, 
you know, uh, you know, Golovkin and, you know, Demetrius Andrade, which is a fight, you know, a ton of people are talking about, uh, um, you know, or, or, or the other champs in that, you know, could Showtime, you know, get a, get a Jamal Charlo unification fight uh, when, when things clear up? Well, um, I, I think chances were, were better at the time I did that interview than they are right now. Um, <laughs> right. Because there, there was a window um, in which we had some conversations with, with Andre's representatives uh, before he renewed his deal with DAZN. Uh, about you know, sort of stepping away from the zone for you know maybe a fight or two um, to do that fight to do uh, Charlo versus Andre, um, and ultimately um, you know he chose to re up with the zone, um, knowing that the, essentially that would probably mean that the fight wouldn't happen in the foreseeable future. I'm not saying that you know we couldn't work together, um, but. You know, it it hasn't happened yet, and uh, um, so you know it's questionable. But I, I think there there was a window where we were having those conversations, and we made what I thought was a real aggressive offer. It didn't go uh, very far, as um, you know, as, as Andre is getting paid, um, you know, relatively well for taking less than top tier opponents. Um, you know, uh, not you know trying to insult or denigrate anybody. Um, but I think, you know, he's, you know, he, he's been pretty clear about it himself. He's getting well paid to take on guys that, that he should beat, you know, pretty handily. So, you know, that's one of the problems of the market when you're getting really well paid, um, for not top tier fights, what's the incentive to take top tier fights? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that's, you know, for the boxing fans and obviously for boxing execs, that's, that's such the frustration is that, you know, um, you know, especially in these divisions that, you know, one network doesn't have, uh, kind of a cornered the market on it. It just, it, you know, it just, it, it makes it so much di- more difficult to make these big fights. Um, I wanted to get to a couple things really quick. Um, with, uh, MMA, I mean, you know, now that, you know, Viacom, uh, you know, obviously owns part of Bellator, um, uh, you know, you're kind of in charge of, you know, Showtime and, and, and sports and, and so on. What, what What's your relationship with Bellator? Is there any plan to put them on Showtime or do any pay-per-views with Bellator? How, how does that relationship work now? Well, um, you know, the, the thing that makes it easy is um, is our experience within our relationship with Scott Coker. Scott is somebody I um, personally have known for almost 20 years. Um, I, I first dealt with Scott when he was working for K1, um, the Japanese promotion, the kickboxing promotion. And uh, he, he was uh, pursuing Mike Tyson, who at that point was, uh, uh, I was Mike's lawyer. And, you know, this is early 2000s um, when they were trying to get Mike to fight K1, which ultimately never happened. But um, and then obviously everybody at Showtime um, had a, a good run with Scott uh, with Strike Force, um, which I came in to Showtime at the tail end of. So there's um, a real comfort level with with Scott. I think, you know. Uh, on some level, the, it, it's it's really it was a simple decision. You know, you have a merger of of Viacom and and CBS, and you know you've got 
you know, two segments of the business that are somewhat related, you know, our boxing business and Viacom owning Bellator. So it's sort of like, okay, let's group these together and, and find out if there's some efficiencies. So, you know, that was the thinking behind it. What does it mean going forward? Um, you know, that, that's, that's a conversation that we're just starting to have and have been starting to have. I mean, obviously, DAZN uh, has a deal with Bellator. You know, Bellator is going to continue to honor you know, that uh, that contract and, and go forward on, on those things. You know, at some point in the future, um, you know, would there be an opportunity for Bellator to be on CBS or on Showtime or somewhere else? I, I, I think the long run, uh, absolutely. I think everything's on the table. Um, you know, the come the company, the, the corporation as a whole, is very committed to the growth of Bellator, and they're solidly behind Bellator. So, look, something like you know, spreading that content around other networks across the corporation and leveraging all of those assets to continue to expand Bellator, you know, not just here, you know, in the U.S., but but on a global basis, um, because Viacom has owns networks in. Uh, Know, in the UK, in Australia, in uh, in Argentina, and so there's a, a lot of synergies that that we can take uh, advantage of. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I haven't had a chance to speak to you since you uh, did the sim- the leadership symposium with uh, with Joe Markowski from uh, from the Zone and, and Lou DeBella, and it was a it was a really good uh, symposium. I think it's on a, on a a podcast somewhere on, on the leader's website. I, livelier than most. What's that? Yeah. It was livelier than, than most panel discussions. I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was really, really interesting. I mean, talk- good match. <laughs> yeah, you call that good match. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Yeah. It was definitely produce some fireworks. Um, one of the things you talked about and uh, I thought was really interesting is is how we're approaching or, or have approached peak boxing, which, you know, basically too much, you know, boxing programming. Um, and, and we're at a point where, you know, the streaming services, obviously, you know, they're especially with the zone starting from scratch, ESPN plus two starting from scratch and just in need of, of tonnage, you know, hours of programming to fill the time and uh, putting on kind of the cheapest content possible. Um, you know, and, and you said that that was bad for boxing. You gave an example that Major League Baseball doesn't na- nationally televise every minor league baseball game because it wouldn't be good for the sport. Um, and, and more televised boxing isn't necessarily good for the sport. You said more high quality boxing and, and more boxing uh, that's rewarding to the fan is good for the sport. So, I mean, do you do you think maybe coming out of out of this uh, this uh, you know this 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 the COVID virus and, and having to be maybe more selective, do you think it's, it's going to help the sport of boxing? And, and I guess address the, your points about uh, peak boxing as well. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I think there were a lot of people who were surprised by that because I mean, for the hardcore fan, um, you know, the more boxing, the better there, there right. isn't, um, there's no such thing as sort of too much boxing on the air. Now, as a fan, I get that. As someone who is invested in the sport, as an executive at a network with uh, with programming in the sport, um, you know, I have a different opinion. And I think there there is such a thing as too much boxing, um, particularly when there's not quality controls, um, because you know, with, and, and I'm I'm not going to point specific fingers, 
Um, but, you know, I, I think there's been a, you know, a huge range of, of quality. Um, and there have been a, a lot of, you know, bad mismatches. And I think that's, that's part of the problem. You know, when you're filling 50 dates a year, for example, and, and both ESPN and the zone are doing 50 dates a year, um, by definition, you know, it's sort of like expansion in any of the other sports. Yes, it does get watered down, you know, at a certain point. And, you know, and you look at some of the matchups and some of the, uh, um, and some of the programming that's being done and you wonder, you know, is there anybody really, you know, at the wheel who is, you know, who is screening these for quality control? Um, so, and, and the, the other problem is, and, and again, um, it, to a certain extent, it's about the presentation and how you present it. But I think for the vast majority of the fans who are not hardcore fans who are who come in and out, it's it's confusing if you are presenting what is um, you know which is uh, you know not a top tier match and claiming that it's the best the sport has to offer. You are setting the audience up for disappointment. And that's the problem. Look, when you tune in for the NFL every Sunday or the NBA, you know you know you're getting the best best athletes in the world. There are good teams and there are not so good teams, but you know the quality of the athlete and the quality of the matchup. It is, you know, it is the best in the world. Um, and you know that's where we, as a network, you know, Showtime, where we see our place. And I think for the good of the fan, the more high quality stuff that we're putting on, the better. Um, no one is really served by, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, a prospect, you know, at six and zero taking on somebody with a, you know, lopsided losing record at three in the morning from Ireland. It just doesn't <laughs> make sense. There's nobody well served for that, right. other than the the families of the fighters who are involved. You know, that does not grow the fan base. Is it a necessary part of the sport? Absolutely. Um, does it need to be? nationally televised and should it be presented as this is high quality this is you know the best of boxing no absolutely and you know you and i have talked about it before um you know one of i think the the bad habits that we've gotten in in the sport is just um you know there are people involved in the sport who are selling selling lies you know who are presenting things that they know and saying things that they know are not true. Um, you know, it's okay if you're saying, look, this is a, this is a showbox fight. Those are prospects. No one is saying this is, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao too. Um, so I, I think without that perspective, without that honesty and presentation, then the, the consumers let down, the expectations aren't there. I think you have to be really clear. And I think, you know, promotion of boxing has gotten to the point where, um, I think most promoters are thinking the more outrageous the statement I can make, the more headlines I can make because I'm saying something that is, you know, off the wall, out of the blue, indefensible, surprising, you know, that is generating clickbait, then that satisfies promotion. You know, and, and that's a very, that's a, a terrible thing for the sport, you know, is, you know, when, the promotion, the art of promotion is, it really is an art has been reduced to name calling and clickbait and, you know, social media battles and, and all of that. And I'm not 
saying that I'm immune. I've been dragged into some of it as well. I've made the mistake as well. But I think as a whole, we as a sport need to you know, get back to the presentation and presenting things a little bit more honestly. I'm not saying hyperbole and marketing doesn't have its role because it does in every industry. But we need to get back to presenting things honest, being honest with our audience about what we are giving and get away from the clickbait and, and the, uh, the TMZ of the sport of just saying whatever you can to get a headline and generate some publicity you know, for your event. It just, it's bad for the sport and it makes us look like, you know, it, we, we pale in comparison to the other professional sports when we have the principles of our sport engaging in stuff like this. Absolutely. Sorry, I put the soapbox. That was a long one. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That, that was that was uh, that was a great answer. I think that that, that really rings true. Um, just one more um, again from you know my my colleague's interview, uh, Joe Santa Liquido's interview he did with you. You said uh, when CBS has a great NFL game, nobody from Fox or ESPN tries to tear them down or point holes in the ratings. What's good for the sport on one network is good for the sport overall. I'm not rooting for the failure of any of these platforms. What I'm rooting for is a rational, positive, long-term commitment to elevating the sport from all of them. If that is the case, you know, we're all better off and there's plenty of good content for everyone to go around. Um, you know, uh, you know what, what's, what's the best we can hope for in terms of civility and, and elevating the sport kind of coming out of the, the COVID uh, uh, crisis? Yeah, I I think I think it starts with civility. Um, look, uh, I'm, I'm you know as interested as anybody else in a good rivalry, and you know especially when there's emotion in it. Um, but you know we don't need principles of the sport, you know, hurling insults and saying outrageous things just to uh, increase their own social media presence, uh, you know, and, and and maybe you know add a little promotion. To the to their events and their fighters, I don't know when promoters and and this goes across MMA and boxing. I don't know when promoters started deciding that they were uh, stars as much as the boxers are. You know, I think the boxers, the athletes, should always be uh, front and center. And you know, I think if we had an ecosystem in which there are multiple networks. Uh, but we're all looking out for the overall health of the sport and the advancement of the sport as a whole, in addition to just the advancement of what each particular network is doing. Um, I think we'd be in a in a much better place. Um, it, it's sort of what we are having to deal with now societally with COVID-19. Um, we can't look. There are some of us who are not at risk. Um, you know, I detailed how, you know, myself and, and my loved ones are you may be at greater risk. There's a whole range of risks that are out there. Um, if everybody who didn't feel like they were at risk rushed out and ignored everything, well, then we as a society would suffer. You know, it's a it's sort of a, a sacrifice and a conscious decision by everybody that for the good of everyone will each sacrifice a little bit. And so I, I think that's the model you know, that, that needs to work in boxing as well. Yes, you know, you know, there are times when all of us need to step away from our positions and say what, what needs to happen for the good of the sport. Um, I look, I, as, as much as, 
you know, we would have liked to be involved in, in, uh, in the Wilder Fury rematch. Um, I still think it was a good thing that Wilder Fury rematch happened. It, it needed to happen. Uh, we, you know, our preference would have been with us, but, you know, I, I still think it's a good thing for the support that that thing, that that fight happened. So, uh, you know, I think we can recognize that, look, sometimes we need to uh, subvert our own personal and professional goals to advancing the sport and therefore making the pie bigger for everyone to participate in. Right, right. Well, I think that's a great point to end on. Um, really appreciate your time, Stephen. I hope that, that you and yours are, 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 are you know, doing well and, and, and hanging in there during this crisis. And uh, really thank you for your time. Excellent. Enjoy the conversation, Kurt, and you stay safe as well. All right. Take care, Stephen. All right. You too. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Stephen Espinosa for taking the time to speak with me. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. I really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece of this podcast on ringtv.com that will feature uh, quotes and background on the interview with Steven. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for? 